HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. This is your sometime host, Anne Saxelby, back in the host seat. Very excited about that. I'm here today with Emily Acosta as my co-host and with Nick Bain, who is a cheese writer for CheeseRank.com, winner of the 2015 New York City CMI and a monger at Bedford Cheese. And we're going to be joined eventually on the phone here by Dave Arnold, who is the host of Cooking Issues on HRN, as well as, um, you know, a culinary guru. So we're going to be very happy to talk to him. Today's show is all about cheese storage. So we're going to be talking about different ways to store cheese, different theories, different techniques, different products. Um, And so we're going to get into all that. But first, we have some public service announcements from Emily. Absolutely. Um, And it's so nice to be here with you, Anne. I I was a big fan of the show before I started producing it, and I would always listen to you. And this is the first time we're on together. So that's really exciting. It's so great. Fun times. (laughs) Um, So just wanted to reiterate from last week, if you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher, um, be sure to check out the new and improved HeritageRadioNetwork.org and tweet us from the show page because we want to hear from you. It's very exciting. Um, And also... um, I spoke uh, with Carlos Yescas of the um, Cheese Coalition, uh, and as you may or may not be aware, the FDA has requested information on best practices concerning raw milk cheese, uh, and the last day to submit will be November 2nd of this year. They're requesting comments in three different areas, um, the practices to minimize pathogens other than aging, uh, which is the 60-day rule, alternative testing during manufacturing, and consumer attitudes. Uh, So the Old Ways Cheese Coalition is helping to gather info on point number three, which is consumer attitudes, with a brief survey online. Um, And if you want to learn more about that organization, tune into Cutting the Curd episode number 218. Um, I'm going to be putting a link to that survey on our Instagram, Cutting the Curd. um, So it's just at Cutting the Curd, one word. And, uh, yeah, definitely check that out. Take the survey if you have time. Fill it out. It's really uh, important to, I think, a lot of artisanal cheesemakers in our country and continuing artisanal practices that uh, we get good consumer feedback to the FDA so they can um, 
really see how people do think about cheeses in the U.S. Absolutely. We all want it. We all want more raw milk cheese, not less. (laughs) Amen. Um, So, well, Nick, we'll start off with with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is an honor and a privilege. Um, So cheese storage. Uh, You recently wrote an article about this for CheeseRank.com. And uh, so what is your personal philosophy on on the best way to store cheese, both, I guess, as in in the shop and in the home for the Uh, consumer? Yeah, I did. Uh, To be fair, I actually wrote that article for... uh, uh, for Carlos's uh, Cheese Coalition for Always. Oh, there you uh, go. sorry about that. So, yeah, well, it's a nice little segue, though, isn't okay. it? <laughs> um, so I, I think a lot of people get get caught up um, at, at home without asking the question of how to store cheese and end up using uh, a lot of saran wrap uh, and a lot of plastic wrap and just tossing their cheese in the fridge. Um, we've had customers who um are on the extreme of that who every now and then will come into the shop and say you know i I held this i bought this this wheel of this soft cheese and i held it in my fridge for a month and now it's turned black is it okay to eat and um of course we we discourage them at that point and probably tastes terrible too and um what uh i generally encourage um, is to embrace the idea that that cheese is a fantastic ecosystem for living, breathing um, microbes uh, and mold. Uh, and you can't really trap mold in uh, an environment where it can't breathe um, and it can't interact properly uh, with any sort of aeration. Um, I think the idea that, that air is completely our enemy is a bad one. Uh, for cheese storage. So while you will see in somewhere like Bedford Cheese Shop uh, or any uh, cheese store in the United States that cheese is displayed within saran wrap, that's really only for short-term storage um, because that's taken out of that saran wrap regularly to be sampled to customers, to be cut to customers. It's not meant for anything long-term. and, it, and in fact, it kind of adversely affects the flavor. I always tell, you know, cheesemongers when I'm training them, I do a little test where I cut a piece of cheese that's been touching the plastic wrap, and then I'll cut another small sliver that's just behind it. And I'm like, just taste the difference. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny. Everyone's like, oh, it's like, oh yeah. Like, it's it's kind of amazing. It just makes it taste a little stale. Well, so, so for... for so we see this at cheese shops, but yeah. again, this is short term. So if you're going to take a piece of cheese home, what do you what do you recommend? I know there's like there's the foil theory, there's yeah. the parchment theory. There's um, and well, just on top of what you said too, if you are a cheesemonger who is listening, um, I think it is totally productive to um, once you take a cheese out of plastic wrap, with a quick little scrape with your knife before you sample it out to a customer, because all that butter fat can kind of get trapped between uh, the surface of the cheese. Uh, and and the plastic wrap and, and some ammoniation stuff. But, um, yeah, if you're taking a cheese home, uh, there are, I'd say, two different methods a person can use. Um, if you are as big of a cheese nerd as I am um, or just need to store some cheese for a long time in your fridge, uh, I would say the best method is to go out and buy some specialty cheese paper. Um, there are companies like Formaticum, that uh, sell this and what it is is a uh, a two-ply paper where you basically have a very thin layer uh, of paper surface and inside of that is attached a uh, polyethylene um, perforated paper Uh, and and what's nice about that is it keeps the paper layer separate from the cheese so you have a very thin breathable space uh, for the cheese where there is some air interaction it's it's not trapping uh, any ammoniating 
molds inside of there. Yeah, it doesn't dry it out, exactly. but allows it to breathe. It yeah. allows it to breathe, but doesn't dry it out. And so you can get this stuff on formaticum.com. You can buy it at certain shops. I'm sure. Do you guys sell it at Bedford? Uh, we sometimes sell it at Bedford. You can also find it at shops like Whisk. Um, there are a lot of other specialty shops. Brooklyn Larder, I know. Carries Brooklyn Larder it. definitely carries it, um, and all around the country. I'm I'm pretty sure uh, there are some stores similar to to Sir Latab or William Sonoma that that carry something similar. Um, you can definitely find this stuff. It's a little more expensive, but uh, it, it's really really great for storing cheese. Now, if you don't have access to that, uh, or you don't want to shell out for that, and that's understandable. Um, the best practice that I always suggest uh, is using parchment paper, which is also a very breathable paper that won't stick to the surface of your cheese. Um, your softer cheeses, it, it will come off easily from them. Um, not waxed paper, but, but parchment paper. Um, and then if you need to hold on to the cheese for a longer time, um, wrap your cheese uh, form-fittingly but not super tightly in that parchment paper, and then you can wrap that all in aluminum foil, which creates that two-ply layer, basically, the same idea as the cheese paper. I should add, though, I am not personally an advocate of keeping cheese in your fridge for a long time. Um, I think you should buy cheese for what you want to... So when you you sample a cheese at a cheese shop, um, what you taste should be what you want to eat. If you hold on to a cheese for too long, that that taste is going to change. proteolysis is still occurring, uh, molds and bacteriums are interacting with that cheese, and it's going to change the flavor of the cheese from where you tasted it. Now, you can do this intentionally. Um, if you're someone like me, you might buy a whole wheel of camembert while it's young and maybe age it up a little bit if you want to make it more robust. But mostly, we're not buying whole wheels of cheese. We're buying wedges, and, and those will be affected adversely. They will dry out. They'll get hard as a rock. If you've ever kept a Parmigiano-Reggiano or something like Maon, um, or any firmer Grana-style cheese in your fridge, they will get rock solid, and you can really only use them in soup. So what's the time frame that you think uh, you know is appropriate to hang on to a piece of cheese? When a customer asks me that, I generally recommend eating the cheese within a week. Um, I generally give them a two-week limit. You can keep a cheese um, appropriately wrapped for a month in your fridge. There will be little changes. Um, and so you tell surface mold. You tell people, you know. Yeah, you can you can just you can just scrape off surface mold if if, if it appears. I mean, it's going to appear. Um, yeah, scratch off a little bit of that, uh, and it's still perfectly edible. Now that surface mold will start to get more and more robust as as the age goes on, and it'll find its way into the paste of the cheese, and that's really going to change the flavor. So that's why I recommend within one to two weeks. Um, I also recommend keeping the cheese within the crisper of the fridge. That's the most humidity uh, and temperature-controlled environment you can find within the fridge. not exposed to the airflow exactly, quite as much. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and newer fridges, you can also control the humidity within that crisper. So if you want to raise or lower the humidity for a particular style of cheese um, on your more newfangled, expensive fridges, you can absolutely do that. Um, it's, it's a better environment for that, uh, that cheese to be maintained. Well, I have to confess, I recently, um, so this was like a not intended affinage project at my house. Um, mm-hmm. our, our refrigerator shit the bed a couple months ago <laughs> and, um, I thought it was completely broken, but it turns out we just needed a fan replaced, but I threw out most of the stuff that was in the fridge, but there were like a couple chorizos and like a piece of West West blue from Parish Hill Creamery, um, via crown finish caves. 
that was wrapped in some foil and I was like I couldn't bring myself to throw it away because it was like you know just like a beautiful aged cheese anyways the fridge ended up being off for probably five days while we waited for the guy to come with this replacement part and still I was just like well you know I think I'm just gonna hold on to it and we actually so this was like literally a month ago probably and we just ate it for dinner like two nights ago with some friends that came over and we like carved it up and had it with some nice butter on bread and man, it was tasty. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and uh, it's just funny because, yeah, sometimes cheese can really go south, but, you know, sometimes it can also be good. And I feel like it's also good to always emphasize to consumers that, you know, yeah, cheese is a living product, but that doesn't mean that mold is the devil and, like, it's already preserved. So, like, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to, like, you know, not freak out about cheese storage and, oh, I have to throw it away. Chances are you don't have to throw it away. Totally. I like it when blue lines develop in my cheddars. I think it makes them delicious. I'm, exactly. Yeah. Or if you have a Bloomy Rind cheese that's gone, like, too spicy and weird, like, mix it up with some cream and make some macaroni and cheese. You know, there's always, like, a good use. I, um... As, as we were talking about before the show, I was recently traveling in uh, Gruyere with Gruyere AOP um, to see Gruyere production out there. Uh, really fantastic people. Uh, and... I brought home some very uh, cheeses you can't get in this country. I wouldn't say entirely illegal, but but borderline illegal, and certainly stuff I wasn't supposed to bring back from Switzerland. Had the dogs at the airport sniffing. You know, there, there was a beagle that looked kind of hungry, and I was worried about him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, no, they were they're more worried about a stick I brought back of all things. Um, weird could could hit somebody with that yeah, in the airport totally. you never absolutely. know it's and a the, weapon and the swiss yeah. are very neutral you have to watch out for them yeah <laughs> um but i brought back uh there was a gruyere cheesemaker and all the cheesemakers out there um have their own small shops within the villages uh to supplement their income of cheesemaking um and from uh leftover milk he had made these tombes de patron uh, which is basically his house tome little gooey sort of reblichon style thing um and I, I tried to bring it back home, and, and I successfully brought it back home. But in between Switzerland and New York City, um, A, they vacuum-packed it. Um, the, the Swiss seem to be very in favor of this for anyone who's possibly traveling. All the shops in Geneva have vacuum sealers. Uh, a lot of the, the cheese shops uh, in Freiburg have vacuum sealers, uh, which helped because it kept a lot of air out. But that's only for a short-term storage. I, I wouldn't suggest anyone do that for a really long-term thing. Um, or you like sous vide your cheese. You kind of change it. <laughs> exactly. You, you kind of change it a little bit. Um, it, it's kind of the same idea as, as doing it for a grocery store. And sure, for firmer cheeses, those will keep for a long time without that air in a grocery store. But it, for a softer cheese, it's not a great thing. Um, it, it, it's really still very active and proteolizing, and the ammonia will build up within there um, no matter what you do. But um, this went in and out of re refrigeration for a week. There were days where I was, I was traveling for... 12 hours out of the day and I had that cheese with me out of refrigeration and certainly for the flight back it was uh, out of refrigeration and it actually developed pretty nicely I have to say over the course of uh, a few days it's a it's, really robust beautiful thing it's kind of like uh, you know in the old days like the um, you know transporting liquor via ship the, mm. the India IPAs like or you know, India pale ales you know developed because of weather conditions and long voyages and port likewise would benefit from you know fluctuations in temperature so you're just doing that in a micro scale yeah there we go ah, so genius <laughs> well we're going to take a very quick break and when we come back we're going to have Dave Arnold on the show with us and we're going to focus on saran wrap and cling wrap every cheesemonger's best friend and worst nightmare stay with us
1996, El Knife and Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. All right, and we are back on Cutting the Curd. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. Be sure to check out the brand new Heritage Radio website at heritageradionetwork.org. And um, Dave Arnold, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Hey, thanks for having me. (laughs) All right, so for all of our listeners, Dave is the host of Cooking Issues, which is a great show on the network here, so everyone should listen into that. And uh, Dave is also one of the founders of MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, which I'm told is about to open its, its lab pretty soon. Is that correct? Oh yeah, right on uh, Bayard Street in uh, in Brooklyn. Sixty, what is it? Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's like sixty-two Bayard. And uh, we're going to have a big exhibition on uh, kind of the birth uh, and history of the flavor industry. It should be fun. That is awesome. So when is that? When is that? When's the launch? When's the kickoff? Mm, it's well. There's a bunch of dates. It's uh, towards the end of October. I don't remember which one's the public date, but <laughs> go to. I like. I've been literally. My head's been just underwater working on it so much that I can't even about like i can't even think about it because everything i needed you know it's my brain is on total fry but go to mofad.org and you can buy um tickets so that you can just show up you know at your ticket time although honestly you could probably also do walk-ins as well if you wanted to that's awesome i cannot wait to check it out um okay so we so we wanted to talk to you today about um cling wrap slash saran wrap and you know so we're just going to have sort of like a free-form discussion but i feel like saran wrap is an item that is ubiquitous in the cheese industry it is something that bedevils every new cheesemonger learning how the hell to work with it um it is my personal talent. If I was ever on Miss America, that would be my talent. I would saran wrap things for people because I can do it very well and, and prettily. Um, but we wanted to talk to you a little bit about kind of, you know, what saran wrap is made of, what's the history, what are what are the culinary uses, what did people use before saran wrap, um, you know, whichever whichever any or all of those questions you you want to answer. <laughs> well, I mean. So the the thing about Saran, right, or whatever you want to, Saran is actually like a, a brand name, right? And even though Saran Wrap is a brand name, Saran Wrap has actually changed its formulation over the years. Okay, so Saran, the Saran Wrap of today, even if you were literally to go buy Saran Wrap, Saran Wrap of today is not the same thing as the Saran Wrap of 15 years ago, and in fact. The saran wrap of 15 years ago was a much um, had a, was much more kind of oxygen uh, impermeable. So, like a saran wrap of like 15 years ago, if you were to stick that over an avocado, let's say, or if you were to stick it over a piece of cheese that 
is um, liable to oxidation, as some are, right? Mm-hmm. Then it's going to be much less. Uh, it's going to be much less of a uh, preservative than the Saran wrap of today. The Saran wrap of today, and pretty much all of the decent uh, plastic wraps are all uh, polyethylene, right? And the reason people use polyethylene is is it doesn't have a lot of nasty crap. It's fairly inert. You know, it's good food grade kind of kind of thing. It kind of the the bad, but again, it's not as oxygen, uh, you know, uh, impermeable as the older stuff. But that's not as big a deal on on most cheese. Most cheeses aren't going to die from oxidation because they age anyway. You know, some will change flavor. Like you know how when you break open like a wheel of cheese, like a like take a Parmesan, right? That's been aging for a couple of years. Like it tastes, it starts oxidizing. It tastes good because that's what we're used to. But like it tastes slightly different the second you crack it open versus. Like an hour later, you know what I'm talking about, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and Saran is not going to change that, which is okay. Now, couple of this with this: most commercial plastic wrap in the day, it might be changing now. I haven't looked at the chemistry recently, but most commercial plastic wrap um, is was PVC, right? PVC film. Yeah. Now, most most PVC film is really crappy. Right, so it has a couple of problems. It, it stinks, it, like it physically stinks. So, like if you were to like check out a bunch of different, um, a bunch of different wraps, and you were to cr- crumple them up and put them in your nose and sniff them, like you'd notice that a lot of, especially the cheaper like commercial wraps, have a plastic odor, and a hundred percent that transfers to the to the face of the cheese. A hundred percent. Now it's like. Uh, now, obviously, like how much it transfers to the cheese is a function of like typically how fatty the cheese are is, right? So, like the fattier the cheese, kind of, in, in my opinion or my experience, I should say, like the greater the transfer you're going to get of the of that kind of nasty plastic aroma. And I guess it could go vice versa, right? The plastic's going to pick it up. That's called scalping. I don't know how much scalping of flavor you're going to get. But as you know, if you've had something in wrap for a long time, right, the actual eating face as opposed to, like, the, the rind, nothing happens to the rind because it's dry there, right? And, and you know, not a lot's happening. But, like, at the, at the what, what I'll call the cut face, m- most of the time what you'll do is you'll shave off a little bit so that you get that fresh piece. And that's not just because of moisture changes, but I think also flavor changes at that surface space, especially if you're using PVC. Does this make any sense or no? Absolutely. No, we were talking about that on the beginning of the show. Um, and in fact, it seems like things have changed in the industry more for direct-to-consumer products than they have for food service products, which I find interesting because as cheesemongers, we all use the nasty stuff that has the PVC in it, which is kind of you know disturbing. Um, but it seems like, yeah, the things have changed more on the consumer end than, than the food service end. Do you have any comments on, on, on why you think that is? I don't know. I mean, I think it's, you know, it would just be another expense to have it. Remember, when you're doing on the uh, direct-to-consumer stuff, the packaging units that those folks have, like, they're, a lot of those guys are doing back-down packs in, uh, in straight kind of plan. Uh, you can get kind of decent bags for that that aren't going to affect the flavor so much, that don't have much of an aroma. Like, if you pick up, like, most, like, uh, like store cheddars, right, and, and you smell the bag, bag smells like cheddar, which means that there is like some scalping, but the bag doesn't smell like plastic. It smells pretty much like the cheddar. That's because like in the machines that they're running, like th- those are the films that they use, whereas typically our, you know, our, our cling films are 
for for thinner because we need a lot of it to be on that roll. So we can't have that thick thing. We need it to be relatively inexpensive. Uh, like super also stretchy. like uh, when what you say? Super stretchy. Yeah, super stretchy. It needs a bunch of. It needs to be a bunch of things that a commercial packaging film does not need to be. And so, like they, you know, they can do kind of different things. Now, you know, what a lot of people will do if you have the money and time, and you're so inclined. I mean, to me, the ultimate is uh, is like the, is the wax paper wrap with the plastic over the top because. Nothing's going to happen to the cheese because it's wrapped in, in the plastic, but a lot of times that wax paper stuff's going to unfold. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe you disagree. Like maybe you think it messes up the humidity. I don't know. No, what no, you think that's about actually, that. that's what we do at the, at the shop. You know, that's like a good cheap, I feel like interim solution. We put wax on the cut surface of the cheese when we're storing it. When it's on display, then we put the saran direct or the cling wrap directly on it. But when we're storing it, it's wax paper with uh, cling wrap on the outside. Same with our shop. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause the customer wants to see this and, and the customer wants to see the cheese, but you don't want all those things. Yeah. Because remember, I'm not going to call out any names, but you remember the way that Dean and Luca used to store their cheese. They'd have that delicious look, <laughs> and then it would just be out there, and like the cut faces would be open, and you're like, "Oh my god, what are they doing to that cheese?" You remember what I'm talking about? Yep, I do. I saw that. I saw that. Yep, with my eyes. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know if they still do that because I haven't been to Dean and Luca in decades. Well, but it's like. And you know, in, you know, in France, you know, there, I, I, the, one of my favorite cheese shop in France is this little place called Laurent Dubois, and um, the whole store is climate controlled, so they don't have to wrap anything because it's just climate and humidity controlled, and you can just put all these cheeses out, cut, not cut, you know, and they're beautiful. But um, so for the most of us, that's not quite the same. Uh, we don't have the same options. But well, let me ask you yeah, this: Yeah, wouldn't Dave. that be nice? Yeah, I know. And also remember, different cheeses want to be a different thing. So unless you have a bunch of cases controlled differently, like how are you? How are you going to hold? Like the like this fresh goat, and you're gonna hold that next to like a a, a wheel of a uh, of, uh, Cheshire. How the hell are you gonna do that? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, if you're, you're not. If you're gonna get real specific about it, it's true. It's very true. It's very true. Yeah. Now let me ask you this, Dave. What did what did people do? Um, you know, cheesemongers, cooks, etc. Before the advent of cling wrap, how did people store stuff and keep it, you know, airtight and fresh? Well, I mean, I, th- I think people probably put up with a lot more kind of uh, a lot more kind of not ideal quality on things. I mean, look the, again, a lot depends on the atmosphere where you live. Like when I visit, like you know, my friend Harold McGee, the writer out in San Francisco, he can leave almost anything out in the counter and it just works. Whereas here, like in New York, like it's very rare that I can just leave stuff out on the counter, you know, and have it be. Your right. your your heater in the um, in the in the wintertime and AC in the summertime will just blow on it and dry it out to death. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, but also remember, people that used to live in inhospitable uh, climates, they would do things like if you weren't if you weren't going to eat the the whole thing right away, you do stuff like smear it in fat or throw it into oil or you know like any one of like a, a, a variety of things to keep the majority as though it were still intact. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Or in Italy, people used to, um, you know, I was thinking about this, uh, you know, they would even wrap things like, uh, you know, salamis or butter in mozzarella and, and just keep it that way. Or you like sell, You sell the cheese that's sold like that. Um, the, uh, what is it called in Italy? I forget. Um, what, the, the manteca? The, the, like yeah, the, the manteca. Yeah, where the butter is inside yeah, of the, the pasta filata cheese. Amazing. Yeah. 
Just, was yeah. that originally a preservative? I kind of like that stuff. But was that originally a preservative, or is that just because they like it? No, I think it's a. It was a means of saving the butter. You would just wrap a little cacciagavallo around it. And yeah, because the 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 story that I heard was that in southern Italy it was too hot to keep the butter just out as was, so they would wrap the mozzarella around it to to keep it from kind of going everywhere. Huh? Yeah. Huh. You see, everyone has tactics of how to like uh, how to keep what they want. In as good a condition as they can, like whether it's like brining, pickling, oiling. There's these cheeses in 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 uh, that I'm fascinated with now in um, Turkey that are aged in goat skins. Interesting. I've heard of cheese aged in stomachs. I haven't heard of cheese aged in goat skins, but hey, why not? It's it's a natural uh, it's a natural wrapper. Do you think yeah. the FDA would let those in? Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, FDA yeah, would. That's your, that's your saran wrap back in the day. Just like slaughter a goat and wrap it around the cheese farm and you're done. Easy. We were just talking about how, you know, some people would be would be sort of turned off by the price of cheese paper. Imagine if we tried to sell them a goat skin. Yeah, <laughs> for merchandise, yeah I, was, sure. I was thinking, imagine trying to get the uh, the city to let you sell goat skin wrapped cheese with the hair on the goat skin. <laughs> hey, 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 now, this, this, this is hand-harvested forage goat skin from the rooftops of Brooklyn, so I think people would be into it yeah oh yeah well then i feel like this could be a future uh exhibit at mofad um food storage through the ages oh it definitely will be it's just like the thing is it's such a huge subject oh i know, you know what i mean like like uh you know like most of the great most of the great uh advances have been in uh in storage or preservation i mean like refrigeration but the thing back to saran like people now are getting really bent on the whole um plastic thing so i don't know where we're going to be I don't know where we're going to be 10 years from now. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I, I hope where we're going to be, if if it's from a personal standpoint, is that something biodegradable could be uh, invented in place of saran wrap. It's the amount we go through at a cheese shop. I, I think it is a, a, a peeve with a lot of us cheesemongers. The amount we go through is is pretty ridiculous. And the amount that any restaurant um, or, or culinary business at all goes through of saran wrap is pretty ridiculous. And if there was something that were a bit... Better for the environment, since in in a way we're kind of trying to be stewards for artisanal work. Um, it would be great. Yeah. Well, does that wax stuff work on its own, except for the fact that it unravels? Like, is that little bit of it's like a little bit of tape enough, or do, is the plastic still helping? I always go overboard, but what do you think? I don't know. I feel like Nick Emily. <laughs> I mean. I, I I will say this in that I mean I know I know Neil's yard um, in the UK has a a minimal use on their um, saran wrap where they really just tries to go over the face and they they and try an to elaborate keep, taping process yeah an elaborate <laughs> taping process that I'm I'm don't know if I'd be able to adjust to uh, very quickly but uh, I, I think the problem is specifically that the wax does come off um, and also that that mold doesn't grow very well on the saran wrap and mold does attach and grow decently well um, onto the wax and there is a little bit more oxidation with that so I, I feel like right now wax alone is not the answer as unfortunate as that is do, do you think that che- that cheeses are destroyed are not destroyed by plastic wrap in the way they can be destroyed by backpacking that's it's i feel like it's kind of two different things i feel like for me we were talking about this because backpacking is kind of like 
you know, you're, you're, you're kind of suspending it. You're almost turning it into a different element because it's totally devoid of oxygen and it will continue to age in the backpack and kind of become something entirely different. Whereas for me, a cheese that's like badly wrapped in saran wrap will just die. Die. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that's just my personal yeah. opinion. Um, yeah. but all right, well, we've got a minute or two left and we wanted to talk about, um, Dave, I don't know if you if you have any um, cling wrap pet peeves, but um, <laughs> I feel like we all in the cheese business have certain things that you know just drive you nuts. Um, I will I will begin. Um, I hate it when people use too much saran wrap and form what is in fact kind of like a bustle on the back of the cheese, where like it's just this huge extra clump of saran wrap that has nowhere to go, and so it just put they put it in the case and it kind of starts to unravel on its I, own. And- I call that a cheese mullet. Like when it has like a mullet wow. and you're like, just tuck wow. in the mullet, tuck it in. Yeah, exactly. It's not necessary. Nobody wants a cheese mullet. No. Um, wow. uh, mine are twofold. I, I hate when I get a bad wheel saran wrap that has no stretching capacity oh, yeah. and just anytime you touch a finger to it or, or, or anything more than the heel of your hand, it just, it just breaks and any like edge of cheese breaks. And second, I hate the teeth on saran wrap. I cut my damn hands on those <laughs> so much. I get... S- Worst cuts from those that I've ever gotten from a knife. It's so annoying. And so those yet, are my two pet peeves. And yet the slidey one is even worse. Oh, uh, the, sli- those the, are the thing with the slide cutter is just such a pain. I can't even begin to deal yeah. with it. And when someone gets rid of the thing, then you can't cut it at all. And then you're ripping off those weird shards. They come off in those weird, uh, <laughs> there's no cutting implement at all. And then you, and you don't have the knife right there and things are getting messed up and it's wrapping around your forearm. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's yeah, worst nightmare. No, no blades in the, in the saran wrap at all. That would be, yeah. that would be horrifying. The horror, the horror. I hate, I hate it when someone takes a small piece of really runny cheese and wraps it in a bunch of saran wrap and then it ends up being a scrape-a-thon when I'm trying to undo yes. it. Yeah. Oh. oh yeah. Wrap yeah, pet peeves. I, I feel like yeah, badly badly wrapped soft cheese and saran wrap. It just becomes like a, a weird game of like hot potato. You're just like, okay, what do I do with this? It's like ca- trying to contain a puddle in, in saran wrap. It's not it's not easy. Yeah. But all right, well, we have unfortunately run out of time on the show today. But um, Dave, thank you so much for your insights. Nick, thank you so much for 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 coming on the show as well. Emily, thank you for all the research and development and uh, and yeah. everything. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with another episode of Cutting the Curd. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.